Hi, Jay. Hey, Tyler. I have a question for you. I hope I have an answer. Oh, okay. So here is the deal. And this is a this is a legitimate question. This is not an opinion question. This is a like a true or false, and then you can explain kind of question. Okay. Okay. In your mind, do the letters of the alphabet have individual personalities? Absolutely. Okay, that's where I was hoping we would go. D- explain. Who is the coolest letter? Uh, it, it, here's. Or just give me some of the cool ones, and then give me some of the dorky ones. Here's what I think. Everybody's going to jump right to X as the cool one. Oh. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I think X is the guy, and he's a guy. Okay, who, who, yeah, so they have genders. Oh, yeah, 100%. So this is also speaking, so uh, this is, uh, when I was thinking of this question, I was thinking uh, this reflects a very binary gender. This discussion yeah. is going to be binary gender stuff, so we're not trying to make proclamations about binary gender. Right, 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 but right, this right. is like when we were little kids, how it came about. Yeah. We grew up in an area in an era when it was very clear, like there are boys and there are girls, and there yeah. there we go. So this is not about gender fluidity. We're not making comments on that. We're just making comments on things that were burned <laughs> into our brains when we were in kindergarten. Okay, right. Q is the coolest letter of the alphabet. Q, I agree, is probably the coolest letter of the alphabet, and Z, the dark horse, for coolest coolest letter. letter. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Z is a little bit like X in this fact. I think that X is the guy that is kind of on the football team, like the towel boy or something. And where's the varsity jacket? Like, he somehow got into the cool club. Z is? No, I'd say X more oh, of this. Oh, X is. Yeah. I feel like Z is, like, doesn't even care. Z is yeah. out smoking. <laughs> Z That's is how just, cool Z is. Z, Z is. Z is barely even part of this. Z is the and. There's an and separating Z from the rest of the alphabet. Yeah. Z is Ziggy Marley. Yeah. Like, that's and it. And Z. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. The picture Z Ziggy is so Marley. cool that in Britain it's Zed. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, it's so, for whatever reason, it's burned into my brain. And apparently in your brain too, yeah. more or less. Yeah. That there were genders to these letters. Uh, Did this have anything to do with like a Sesame Street or? I don't a... know, uh, and maybe like my uh, kindergarten had like personified letters, which seems to be probably pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, you, definitely you was a girl on Sesame Street. Yeah. Because yeah, Smokey yeah. Robinson sings this song, "You Really Got a Hold on Me," and it's you, and it's like he's in love with you, and it's got the lady eyes. Yeah, right. Which is eyes with eyelashes. And comically long eyelashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's trying to hug him the whole time. So I, I, I that sold me on you being a girl. It probably is Sesame Street. I think Sesame Street genderized. They do, a the, lot. The and and con- consistently. Yeah. Like like that. Uh, U is always a girl. V is probably always a girl. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole point was not to, again, have a discussion on gender or to, or to make this arbitrary thing, but just how weird it is that we, as we personify things, uh, we relate to them better that way. Yeah. Uh, we put thoughts into their heads and even things like letters and numbers. Well, as we, I'm sitting over here thinking back to Q, our friend who is the coolest letter. Yeah. So much cool. so that Q has a sidekick. You. U is very rarely away from Q. So I mean, the, the it's the most adorable thing that happens in the preschool at our church is that they do a wedding. Oh no, of Q and you. Oh yes, they and it's adorable. And they had me like preside over it, so oh, I put my robe yeah. on. It's the only time I ever wear a robe in the church. <laughs> I, have, I have like five robes, but I never wear them. Mainly because they're hot. Not even on Sundays? No. I really? Don't wear, no, I don't wear them on Sundays. See, I wear my robe every chance I get. Wait, if I wasn't wearing them on Sundays, when other when else would I wear them? Well, like weddings and funerals. Oh, okay. And stuff. Yeah, I wear yeah. them at. Uh, I've worn them. I've worn. I used to wear them on Sundays. I don't currently at this church, um, at all. Like winter, or summer. It's not like a seasonal no, thing. No. Huh. I, I mean, part of it is our our sanctuary is a little smaller and um, doesn't feel as ornately sanctuary. And it's also like, I 
preach on the floor a lot, so I yeah. want to engage people as much as I can. So I wore it like the first two Sundays, and then people kind of gave me a look like, huh? Yeah. Uh, but no, no one said, don't do that. But no one said... You should be doing that. Yeah. No, no one was like, that's the way to do it. Like, it's so... I didn't wear it the next week, and no one said, where's the robe? And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to wear a robe. Yeah. And I haven't. And uh, I'm not anti-robe. I think I'm anti-being hot. See, I have, I think, the best run. You've got a great robe. I have a great robe. Your robe is like a Matrix robe. Yeah. It's an alb. Yeah. A black alb, which is impossible to find. And this is not... uh, So uh, you're the only male that I've seen that has the Matrix robe. Yep. Which I wish that there were more... And again, this this whole intro has gotten very genderized. And it's, yeah. Maybe we should talk about gender. I don't, that's not the point. <laughs> but uh, in the Presbyterian Church, or at least in, the, in in all the Protestant churches that I've seen, that are not Anglican mm-hmm. or Episcopal, where priests, where there are priests and robes as part of the yeah, like Lutheran a little bit too. Yeah. Um, but of all, including Lutherans, like of of all the the non Anglicans, I have not seen albs on men. No. But I see them almost exclusively on women. Like mm-hmm. women do not tend to wear the typical Wesleyan, uh, the Wesleyan, uh, the academic robe. So right. the, the normal Presbyterian pastor that you see who wears a robe, that big flowy thing, it's an academic robe. So it's the same thing that like they that the professors at Hogwarts would wear. Yes. Like that's the whole thing is that we are advertising ourselves as the professor the in the smart room. one. Yeah. So it's not even just look at how smart I am, but it's I am a teacher. Yeah. Treat me as an instructor. Yeah. So that's the 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 Presbyterian uh, pastor. the The role of the pastor is first and foremost teacher. And by the way, it took me forever to realize that the ones with the three red yeah, stripes doctors. are doctors. Yeah, I realized that when I when my uh, I was at my first call and I was thinking about getting a robe, and the the guy I worked with um, was an interesting guy. Uh, he uh, had the three patches, and I was like, I think I'm gonna get one with those three. Steps to the like, like, gonna cost those you. are for doctors. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay. And uh, and ten years later, I became a doctor, so I could have them on a robe and not wear them. Do you, and I was gonna say, do you have one with three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got two with the three. Oh wow. One was two with the three. One was given to me when I when I got my doctorate. Uh, it is paper thin, yeah. so it is it is clearly cost them like zero money, <laughs> and so it will be used for whenever we need costumes for a robe. Yeah, uh, but it still has the chevrons, is what they're called. Okay. Uh, and then another one was given to me by the president of the seminary, uh, who was from Pittsburgh, and so we became friends while I was there because the Steelers were in the Super Bowl, and mm. and uh, being in Iowa, where I went to seminary, you you want to watch the Super Bowl with other yeah. Steeler fans. And uh, so uh, he, there was a, a pastor or a professor who was retiring, and um, and he had retired, but it was aging and kind of declining, and um, he didn't have any family, and so um, he was uh, kind of slowly kind of giving his stuff away to a lot of students and stuff. Yeah. And so as I got my doctorate, he said, "I've got this robe um, that was his, and he's not going to use it, obviously." And I think he would like you to have it. And I knew the professor; I never actually had him in class, but he was a great guy. Um, and uh, so I have this robe that when I do wear it, like I, so I, the times actually I do wear it is when I'm in install, installation services. Yeah. So I've been in a couple of installation services and worn this. The funny thing is the, the, the professor who got it from is like a foot shorter than me. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's a short sleeved robe <laughs> as it currently is, <laughs> which is fine with me, but it's blue and yeah. it has like real, it's like a, like a darker blue, kind of like a Duke blue. Nice. Um, and it's just a neat robe. See, I've got the alb. Yeah. A. 
There's and again, so I described it as a Matrix robe, so that's probably the best way to think of it, especially yeah. like the latter two Matrix movies, which we'd prefer not to talk about. Right, but the, uh, the But style. where he's wearing like a robe, yeah. basically. So it basically is like it's fitted to the waist. Yep. And then it flows out yep. like a dress. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So for three principal reasons, I have the alb. One, my father-in-law, who used to work here, had an alb. He came from a Methodist tradition. Nice. And that was just his thing. Yeah. Uh, and when I saw him put it on the first time, I was like, oh. It's the coolest that. looking robe. Yeah. 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 Uh, two, it, it takes away the professorial mm-hmm. role, and it's more—it's like monkish. It's easier to do kung fu in it. That's three. Yeah, it's a Jedi robe. <laughs> it is straight up a Jedi robe. Oh yeah, it kind of is. And you can't not sing the throne room song <sighs> while you're walking down the hall towards the sanctuary. Man, yeah. so that's why, and it's—it might wear off at the next call or whatever. You never know. But yeah, anytime an opportunity to wear the robe is available to me. I'm taking it because I, I want to be yeah. a, I want to be a Jedi. I would like to have that robe. I think I just am I'm nervous of one, especially because I currently don't wear a robe really that much yeah. at all. But I'm worried about because robes are not cheap. This uh, is so. It, oh, was it? Oh, what's a what's a good Wesleyan? I don't know. Two hundred dollars. Two three hundred bucks, right? Yeah. This was one hundred fifty. Nice. Yeah. So it was like, hmm. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the. <laughs> so what is the. Uh, I don't know if I have a deeper question about the, the, the letters. And only stuff. let me finish this up though, because okay. the this is also a funny story. The only thing that my robe doesn't have that I wish pockets? it did a hood it has pockets. Oh, why do you want a hood? Because it looks sweet. It's oh, more like a proper stuff. hood. Yeah, like yeah, monk yeah. hood. Yeah, I do have one of the lighter, like the real kind of monkey monk ish. Yeah, looking uh, robes that that I always associated with Methodist, kind of that white one. Yep, like off-white. an off white. Yeah. And so that I, one, I think, does have a hood on it that someone gave me that was, uh, uh, his father was a pastor, and so he gave me his pastor's, his yeah. father's old robe. So I went on Amazon to get the off-white hooded robe, Yeah. Uh, and Amazon is not the place to do that. What came to me, though it was described oh, no. as extra large, oh, no. Oh, no. was generously no. a medium. I put it on once. I oh, looked wait. like... Okay, I'm coming back in. I was moving away from the microphone because I thought you were about to describe getting a Ku Klux Klan robe. It looked like a stripper trying to be the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, it was no. The, sexy Klan member. The, it was skin tight and the, the hood stood straight oh, up. Oh, no. I looked in the mirror and I went, no. Yeah, I, white. you got to be real careful with a oh white robe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no oh. kidding. Oh, man. No kidding. Yeah. It was bad. Boy. Luckily, it never saw the light of day. It's still in my closet. I don't know why I still have it. Yeah, that's probably a good one to get rid of. Yeah, it's bad. All it's right. Bad. Well, so anyway, on I'm, that note, yeah, I'm Tyler and I'm Jay, and this is Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. best to avoid the obvious okay uh and we're not gonna go full on into it but oh we've earned this now okay who shot first han solo or greedo han solo i have every copy of star wars that you can currently get that would tell me yeah the opposite is true really i oh everything available Says, through through legal means at this, at this point for, at this point says Greedo that is the new canon I have never first of all I should say I've never been invested in this fight uh, 
for the following reason, and it is the reason why I think Han shot first. Yeah. Is because that just matches his personality. Oh, yeah. That like, makes that's, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, if the people that get upset that Han shot first, as in, like, he's too altruistic, he's the hero, how could he shoot for. No, not at that point in the movie, certainly. Yeah, no. And it's, really it's not ever. Gro- it's called character development. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, so, like, in the, the, the feasibility of him shooting first always seems. But. And I've never, I've never been the guy to slow it down and like watch it in slow motion to so let, see. Let me be, let me be the our, our official footnote maker again. Yeah. To those who may be completely lost, um, yes, what yes. we're referring to is in the original Star Wars movie, which was Hope. just called Star Wars. Yeah. And then they changed it to a New Hope later, Episode Four. So the first one that came out in 1977. There's a character named Han Solo, the best character in the movie. I, I think objectively agree. is true. Completely uh, agree. When you first meet him, he is a scoundrel, often mm-hmm. described as a scoundrel. He is in this bar, which is a, a wretched hive of of uh, villainy. Yes. Wait. Yeah. A wretched it. hive of scum, scum, and, scum and villainy. And uh, he and is Mos a scruffy-looking nerve herder. He is a scruffy-looking nerve herder. But not um, in that movie. Yeah, not yet. One would not yet describe him as that, but we do know him as, to be <laughs> as such. Uh, he is about to leave. He's made some deal to, to ferry these guys uh, on his ship to another place, to mm-hmm. Alderaan. And then he encounters a bounty hunter named yep. Greedo, who looks like a green pufferfish, uh, like <laughs> a, a head of a pufferfish, yeah. a green pufferfish <laughs> on like a guy with tentacle fingers. Yeah. And so he is like, what, 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 what? like he, he talks in gibberish. And, and one of my favorite things about Star Wars, by the way, he talks in a different language. Han Solo talks to him in English. Yes. They don't even explain it. There's no question. That's fantastic. Zero question. And boy, boy, the prequels <laughs> screw that up. So this is, so again, we're not talking about Star Wars today. Right. Really. We are going to have, Patience. at some point, we will have uh, plenty of time to talk about each trilogy in its own right. It should be in December when the new one comes out. That's when at least when one of them will yeah, be. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll spend some time with the trilogies. And if you're excited about that, hooray. And if you're not excited about that, we'll, skip. Do, we'll do. No, don't skip it. We'll do things to make it uh, inviting oh, yeah, in other ways, yeah, too. Okay. So um, so he the, the way the original one worked is that he talks with Greedo. Greedo's like, and he has a blast on him the whole time. And Greedo's like, uh, you owe money to Jabba the Hutt, and yeah. I found you. And uh, I'm gonna kill you, <laughs> like. And he says, "He says you, uh, the bounty on you is this money much, and it doesn't really matter if you're alive or not." And then Han, who while this whole thing is going on, you see a cut to his hand underneath yeah. the table, and he's sitting like super casual, like doesn't seem like, and he's unhooking his blaster, like mm-hmm. unholstering it mm-hmm. under the table, pulls it out, has it pointed at him. Greedo doesn't know, and Greedo's like. I'm taking you in. I can't remember what the last line he says because it's you, you have to read it. Yeah. And he's like, what, 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 what? and uh, Han Solo goes, over my dead body. Oh, yeah, over my dead body. Like, that's the idea. And then Han shoots him under the table. Yeah. Murders him, cold blood. Falls down. Han Solo says, sorry about the mess to the bartender. Flips him a coin. Walks out. Cool scoundrel coolest, stuff. Coolest scoundrel. Every kid wants to be that guy. Yep. In the 1998- George Lucas goes back into his movies and says, this is art that I have made for the world to love, but I am more important than everyone else. I'm going to pull my art down <laughs> off of, I'm going to go into the museum. Yeah. I'm going to take the Mona Lisa off the wall. Yeah. And I'm going to repaint on it because I don't like it. This is exactly what he did, by yes, the way. Yes. To the point that I can't find the original anymore. Do you because have the original? Because it's not available. I, yeah. I absolutely Obviously, have Obviously, yeah. Uh, I have it on VHS and on uh, DVD. Wow. So The DVD's rare because that it medium is rare. It was, was... It was a bonus disc that is unremastered. So it's like a kind of lousy copy of it. Yeah. But 
It's great. And I initially only showed that version to my kids. I would only show the non-special <laughs> dishes. So yeah. he went back into the, to, into the movies and added all these uh, obnoxious special effects that are like, look at me, look at me, that, that are really annoying. And it was a precursor to the, to the prequels. Like he yeah. didn't tell people he was making the prequels yet, but really he was just kind of like testing out his new technology. They re-ran stuff. them in the theaters too, right? They did re-ran them in the theaters and we were all excited and we were like, what? And, yeah, uh, right. And the, one of the one of the things that happens earlier is one of the first changes because this is like maybe fifteen minutes into the movie, probably yeah, twenty minutes into the movie. Not so, not too much was changed up to this point, and then suddenly, um, we have this exact scene plays out the same way. Han's super casual, and this is about to come up. He's about to shoot Greedo, and suddenly Greedo shoots at Han's head. Han, they digitally did this really stupid thing where Han somehow does this like chameleon like head shift to the left yeah like his whole neck just goes pew like with this razor like like so he doesn't duck he just goes uh, yeah and slightly shifts and the the thing hits like inches from his head which so he only moved like three inches he only had three inch give if Greedo had moved had aimed in the center of his face yeah he would just gotten shot in the eye instead of the nose right right. Uh, so it's really dumb (laughs) it shows the Hans but it was put in there that George Lucas said, I don't want the one of the heroes of my show to be a cold-blooded killer. So the only way that he would shoot is in self-defense. And so he put he went back and changed the narrative of this whole character right. by saying that this character would only shoot because Greedo shot at him first. I disagree. And it makes him terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately following that, we have this really ridiculous uh, scene of him meeting Jabba the Hutt and stepping uh. on Jabba the Hutt. And it's really... And it's actually the special effects are impressive and like, Oh, well that's impressive that you're able to put that back in this, this 30 year old stuff. But you look at it and I was like, it's not that good. No. I mean, it doesn't look real and it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add anything no. to the movie other than just say, look what we can do now. Well, and the original job of the hut was just a guy. Yes. Yeah, it's just a furry guy, guy yeah. in a fur coat. Um, so anyway, uh, that has that. There are people who just have shirts that say just hot, hon- hot first. Yeah. Um, this is, there are people that stake their star Wars fandom on this question. Oh Yes. And so, Star Wars, whether you're into it or not, and again, we're not really going to talk about Star Wars, but we're just talking about this is an example. We're of, just as getting it somewhere. Yeah. But so even if you don't care about Star Wars, you know that there's a thing called Star Wars, and especially before the prequels came out and or the the sequels, and this new resurgence when Disney kind of rebooted Star Wars, rebooted the the re-energized, reinvigorated the the franchise and gave us a bunch of movies. Yeah, uh, which we can talk about at a different point. What the value of that is, um, and. Uh, um, before that, uh, this idea of changing the originals, what people had like that had been part of the zeitgeist, the cultural underpinning of our lives for 20 years at that point, mm-hmm. um, that to go in and change it and to say, now this is the new reality. Yeah. So the other thing that happened from that is that they subtly in 1996 re-released all the old stuff, like remastered on VHS, which was the only thing that was around at that time. Yeah, and so you could get like letterbox editions, which is widescreen uh-huh. letterbox editions of the VHS tapes, uh, all remastered of the old thing. That's the last time they remastered those, uh, and it was unretouched, anything like that. And then now, from now, so if you get them on streaming, if you get them on DVD, you get any any copy of it at all is only the special editions. Yep. So the, the what is now canon is is Han shooting second. And all the other stuff that happens. And like Han stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail and all this other, like the ending, uh, like that the Ewoks don't sing at the end of Jedi um, and that the end of Jedi belongs to the prequels and like it's all this messed up stuff. When they put What's-His-Face 
in as Anakin Skywalker, uh, I almost threw a table. Like just oh man, like Jesus, like Jesus in the yeah, in the, in the like temple, that level of rage. Yeah, like oh, it makes no sense either. Why, if you're gonna do that, then put in young Obi Wan Kenobi too. Yeah, or young Yoda. What yeah. did, what did Yoda look like as a twenty something? I'd love to know. What, but or just young Yoda that he where he has those tufts of hair where he's like the weird looking <laughs> Muppet in the first one, uh, in in Phantom Mask. Anyway, that that's a conversation for another day. So all of that is to say that um, there are people who swear by. This is the only way to interpret Star Wars. Right. And that that uh, anything else is blasphemy. Anything else is a corruption of this story. Right. Of which we seem to be in that camp, which is an interesting <laughs> twist for where we're going to go with this. Right. We, we are people who I think that we've communicated that we are very much of the mind that that Han did shoot first, that it's a better, not just better for the character, it's better for the entire movie. Yeah. That this mercenary character this character with no morals right is the one who is going to be he's a cowboy i mean he is he is the anti-hero yep and that it provides growth that that there is no reason to think at any point in the movie that he would help them no and he does everything he can to not help them which is why when he shows up at the end it's yep. such a big thing you're all clear kid you need Let's that yeah home. yeah and that is important and that growth is undercut if he starts out as a virtuous character. Yes. And so uh, it makes the story worse. Mm -hmm. And so to call it canon, I still have that kind of underground old copy of um, the originals that I, like I said, I only showed that to my kids for a while yeah. until it just became too complicated. <laughs> um, Technology got out. the yeah. better. Yeah, stream yeah. is so much easier to stream. And now that Disney owns it, that's one of the big things that people are hoping is like, can we get a remastered version of the originals? Yeah. And Disney is not against that because it was really George Lucas's ego that came in and be like, I'm more yeah. important than everyone. And Disney sees dollar signs. Yeah, Disney's like, oh, you want to buy this thing? Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. And so it will happen eventually. Yeah. Like it's not. Uh, and also Disney is not like Disney will give fans what they want mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse. And uh, George Lucas seemed to give fans what he wanted. And yeah. that was and what he wants is everyone to think he's a genius. Yeah. That's for another that's for the George that's Lucas a, episode. Oh man. He gets his own. Oh yeah, yeah. Star Wars gets one, Lucas oh, man. gets another. We'll just have a Star Wars month. We'll just do. <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody will love that. So anyway, what so where are we going with this? What's the whole point? I know where we're going with this, and I'm so thrilled about the setup. Okay. This is great. So one of the things, especially about the Presbyterian denomination, is mm -hmm. that we are um, theologically reformed tradition, which is what the Presbyterians are part of. Right. Um, we value um, scripture. Yes. And the exposition of scripture is the main part of Presbyterian worship, uh, and that biblical literacy and an understanding of the meta narrative of scripture is of the utmost importance. Yes. And so our role as pastors is. I mean, going along with the ropes, our role is teachers. And what we're supposed to teach is here's what the Bible says, right. not legalistically, right. but here is the narrative of scripture and here, and now we need to respond to it. Yep. So the way worship is structured is gathering. It's all around the word. You gather around the word, mm -hmm. you bring all your stuff with you. And that's why <laughs> confession and stuff that happens yep. there. It's like, yep. let's get rid of all this garbage that we have. Uh, I also put offering in the gathering because I, I think that you come bear no one comes to church being like you know what i am gonna give money like they come <laughs> you come with stuff in your pocket or you come already having given something or you come planning not to give like right. it, whatever <laughs> right. you're right. gonna do financially and when the collection determined. plate comes along you have preset that yeah it's not a surprise for most people in the pews and so right. they're coming out 
uh, and doing that. And so um, I think that it, that that makes sense in the gathering. So I, so you gather around the word, then you uh, um, proclaim the word, mm-hmm. and that's the sermon, that's right. the reading of scripture in the sermon. And songs go in this also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then you uh, respond to the word. Yep. And this is often where like baptisms and communion and stuff like that goes. <laughs> Although we usually put baptisms at the beginning. Because you can't have kids. Again, yeah. you can't have kids doing it. But again, there's not surprise baptisms. Yeah, right. So responding to the word, it's not like people are like, that sermon was so great. I'm going to put in 50 bucks. Or it's like, that sermon was so great. I'm going to get baptized right now. Yeah. We're not allowed to do that. We don't baptize in the spur of the moment in the Presbyterian right. Church. We have a whole process of doing it. Um, and so it's a response to the word, but it's a response that happens at the beginning. So again, I think theologically it makes sense to put that in the gathering. Yeah. Um, now communion is kind of a response yep. and, uh, also, so response to the word is often affirmation of faith, yep. things like that. And then there's the sending, sending mm-hmm. by the word into the world. Yep. And that's really just the end, like the closing hymn, the benediction. Yep. So it's not that these are four equal parts, but those are the four, that's the flow of a traditional, uh, reformed worship, but it's all centered around the word, which is scripture. Interesting side note. This yep. is a side note. I yep. run a contemporary worship service here. If you are a Presbyterian and you have a contemporary service, yes, have the contemporary music. Frame your service this way. Yeah. It changes. It, oh, it goes it's such from a solid framing. I mean, it, yeah. it, and it's not that hard. And again, no. if you're not worried about it being proportional. No. Like the send, the, the sending can be one song and a benediction. The sending Absolutely. can be six minutes long. Yeah. The gathering can be. So our gathering is probably the longest part. Well, the sermon's probably the longest part, yeah, clearly for yeah, us. Yeah. My sermons are too long. Uh, but the <laughs> uh, the uh, you think the podcasts are long? Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, uh, the, I really want to come sit in at your church sometime. I need to do that. Yeah. So yeah. We're open every I'm Sunday. Sit in the back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, so all that is to say, we're as Presbyterians and other denominations are this way too. We yeah. don't own this, but like we are very centered on the word, but not in terms of a. I, as a preacher, I'm going to tell you what to believe. Yeah. But I, as a preacher, I'm going to equip you with the opportunity to be able to read this on your own. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm helping, just like a teacher. Right. As a teacher, I'm not telling you what Shakespeare says. I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm helping you read Shakespeare so that later you can read it on your own. The heretic Rob interpret. Bell said this very well, that the sermon is not never the last word on something. No. It's the first word. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's, I'm going to introduce this idea to you, and I want you to take this back and play with it. Yeah. In your own sandbox. And so from this, to bring it to the subject now, that there's this this word mm-hmm. called inerrancy. Yes. And it's a word that does not exist in our lexicon anywhere nope. apart from when we're talking about the Bible. Correct. Now, it's a perfect word. It just means without air. Right. And so this idea of the inerrancy of the Bible, um, to say the Bible is without air. There's another word, the... Infallible? Infallible yep. word of God. What that word means, how you parse that yeah. is incredibly important yeah and it means so many things and i think that this uh topic actually i think leads to so many problems that people have with the church oh my gosh and this so many huge. Tr- so many problems that the church has created for itself yeah and it seems like a simple thing to be like yeah, it's, it's it's not a yes or no because i would i think that i would say is the bible inerrant i would say sure I, uh but yeah. what does that mean and and i think that that's the appropriate response too sure yeah. Because that's what you respond to a question that that that's not the real question, right? Like it's like do you like if someone comes in and is like who likes cake? Do you like cake? I sure, go, sure. I know that that's not the end of the question. Like you're not just right. taking a poll. Like is there cake here? Like what's next? <laughs> right, right. So what kind of cake is it? Tell me and then I'll tell you. Yeah, like, um, I, I'm a little stronger anti on inerrancy. Oh, I, I like this. I I'll like hold, this. I'll hold back a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah, keep no, rolling. No, well that was it. I was just kind of introducing it that way. Yeah. So I mean, here's I guess I'll explain my shore so we can go. 
I would say that the Bible is without error in the sense that there's nothing wrong with it. Okay. I don't think that it is um, inerrant in that a literal interpretation of the Bible is right. healthy or correct. The, the only and I don't think it was meant to be that. And so no. here's what I would say. Let's let's go. Uh, let's read our Bible for a second. Okay. And we read in the Bible. Let's start, I don't know, at the very beginning. Yeah. It's a very good place to start. It's very good, yeah. And <laughs> Chapter 1, page 1. <laughs> Chapter 1, page 1. It's actually probably not page 1. No. Uh, it's, it's probably like page 12. Yeah. Or after the XXIs, right. it is page 1. <laughs> or page nothing because they don't put the page number, then the next page. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Genesis 1, 1. Uh, so the first five verses, great. Yeah. We get to verse 6. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, and I don't have a Bible with me. Uh, <laughs> you terrible pastor. But we get to, I know, well, it's, it's up here. It's up ah, here in the right, brain. Yeah, right. um, but anyway, so you get to verse 6. So verse 6 says, so up to this point, God, so the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1. Uh, and then he starts to create some stuff. He creates uh, light. He, um, it does not create darkness because darkness is not a thing. Darkness mm-hmm. is the absence of light. You can't create darkness. It just it, it just is. It's like a blank page. Like draw a paper, draw a blank page. You can't draw a blank page. You just right. have a blank page. That's darkness. And he also doesn't really create water other than the heavens and the earth. Like all, So water becomes this image of chaos and disorder, and everything kind of comes out of the water. And that is echoed in Revelation, but yep. that's a whole other thing. You so do the dictionary this week? Are you doing the revelation? Yeah. 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 Last words of the Bible. Oh, yeah. it'll be great. I tricked, I, I switched it though and I added the ascension in because I, it's ascension. Yeah, Sunday. it is ascension Sunday. So, and I'm back on Luke. So, um, but yeah, we're doing revelation at the end. So whenever you hear this uh, in August or wherever, <laughs> wherever we release it, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, June 2nd. So that's, yeah. I'm going to date it hard. Date it hard. So, yeah. So that's it's coming hard. up in three days, yeah. uh, two days even. Get, <laughs> yeah. get writing. So um, the, uh, can you guys hear that? It's four o'clock. Okay. So uh, um, we get to verse six and suddenly it says, uh, God separated the waters yep. and created a vault between the waters yep. and called the vault sky. sky. So if we are literally taking the Bible to mean that every single word of the Bible is true. Right. The Bible has gotten six words in, I think six sentences in. Yeah. And immediately stops making sense. Yeah. Because what this is saying is that there is sky, and below the sky is what? Water. And above the sky is what? Water. And we know that that's not true. So accurate. So throw the rest of the Bible out. We're done. So that's what I would say, is that if you are showing this Bible, this book, to someone who you're trying to say, look, this is God. This is the story of God. Most important story of all time. Uh, Start at page one, and let me know when you have questions. Yeah. If they don't have questions at that verse... And if, and if your question, if your response to that question is, no, that's how it is, because that's what it says. Yeah. Then any reasonable person would say, oh, well, then, I, no, thank you, please. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't have to get further before this stopped making sense. Yeah. Um, the reason why it says that is because it's based on a platonic uh, Plato uh-huh. understanding of the universe, which is the, the, the universe is a bunch of circles inside of itself. Mm-hmm. Almost like those Russian dolls, those nesting dolls, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. circles and circles and circles. And there's the earth circle. There's probably a circle inside. And then outside that circle is the sky circle. And this, think of the sky as like a colander. Mm-hmm. And all of the stars are the pokey holes yep. that the light is shining through. Which makes so much sense. If you don't know anything. Until you throw a Hubble telescope <laughs> yeah. up there and if go, you, oh. Yeah. If you can't get any higher than climbing as high as you can and jumping in the air. <laughs> 
right. uh, that uh, as soon as you can get higher than that, then you realize, wait a minute, one. I mean, the fact that they thought it was circles, one, it totally gets away from the whole flat earth thing. People were done with flat earth a long time before that. Yeah. They understood how shadows worked and things yeah, like that. Right. So, yeah, flat earth has not been, it's been understood that the earth was a circle far before people realized that there wasn't water in yeah. above the, the sky. Uh, and as soon as we went up to, to space, we realized, hey, there's no water there. So in order for this sentence in the Bible to be literally true, you have to throw out all logic. Yeah. And all of it you and and then you have and then it commits you to throwing out science and saying well maybe there must be water up there and uh that that they're lying when they get there or that when they get into space it is water but that's why everything floats or like and then when they tell us that no there's no air up there well there's no air because it's filled with like you're making all kinds of ridiculous justifications that that the bible is not asking you to do right and that's the most important thing the bible never was written saying like hey guys you really better buy into this right away well and that okay and so, and so, and and the other thing is, like, so they when the ancient people thought that water fell from the sky, which is part of this, is that when water does fall from the sky, so mm-hmm. clearly there's water up there. They didn't understand the water system right. of precipitation and evaporation and condensation, and how that's a cycle that goes up. And so when the water comes up, it's coming from the clouds. They thought, well, it's coming through those holes right, in, in the, the sky. sky, and so there must be water up there, and it's leaking down. So it's a logical thing, right. like a five year old would have. Again, right. if the most you can see of the sky is jumping out of a tree, then that's <laughs> right. that's not a it's, stupid thing to think. Right. But as soon as we got better data, we got it. And so what you have to look at this first chapter of the Bible, which is different than the second chapter of the Bible, yeah. which tells a different story. Yep. Uh, what is this first chapter trying to tell us? First, it's a poem because yep. it has a refrain that keeps coming. It says, and then there was morning and there was evening the, four, the, the second day. Yeah. So on. So it, you get to day four before days are created. Right. Which is also moon. doesn't make any sense. How right. can there be days before you have created days? And, yeah. and yeah. so all of this is it either makes a clear cut example. Like if we are insisting that every word of the Bible is true, then it makes it very easy for anyone who wants to dismiss this. Yeah. To say, oh, well, clearly this is not true. Right. Thank you for not wasting my time. I'm glad you told me right away all the ridiculous things that were true. To this. Right. The problem is the Bible never says that that's what it's about. Yeah. This story is not written to tell you exactly. The, the point of the of Genesis 1 is not to tell us, here's exactly how the world was created. Right. The point of it is to say, God created everything. He created on purpose. God created everything on purpose. And God created everything in order. And it moves from chaos yeah. to order. Yeah. And that the culmination of that creation is human beings, men right. and women, Created at the same time, yes. human beings. Yes. Then we have a different story. Yes. And the different story, that story, Genesis 2. On is, the day before everything else comes to being. Yes. It, yeah. And that, the point of that story is not to tell us. It's it, So the first one is to tell us God created everything with a purpose. Yep. And it's moving from cast to order. And God created everything to be in relationship with each other. The point of the second story is to say God wants to be in relationship with humans and we screwed it up. Yep. And But God isn't giving up on us. And God wants to be in relationship with people. And so... Before everything else is created, God creates Adam, right. Adam, which just means man, Dirt mud, man. mud thing, yeah. and uh, mud person, and then creates plants and animals. Yeah. And Adam does not think any of those things are the best companions. They, now, God thought these could be fair companions, as which they are, and it tells us that we should be have companionship with all of a created world. Yeah. But the best companion is another human. And so then God creates uh, a woman out of the the man yep. Adama uh, and and then they become companions 
and then everything falls apart. Yeah. And then three pages in, yeah. humanity loses control. Yeah, yeah. Which stacks up. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. So all that is to say, so I think that uh, I would say that I'm happy with the Bible being infallible. With, I mean, with, I'm okay with that word. Yeah. As long as you let me explain what I mean by that. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's a mistake. I, so I don't think that, that chapter one, verse no. six is a problem. No. And so I don't think it needs to be fixed. I don't think the Bible needs to be fixed, but I do think we need to approach it the right way. Yeah. I think the Bible is not meant to be a science book. We shouldn't go to it trying to tell us science. No. It's now, if you look at evolutionary, evolutionarily, what's going on there, it is moving from chaos to order, which is how the evolutionary process works. Right. You get things coming out of the water before you get things coming out of the, the ground. Right. And you get birds, which are native to, I mean, like relatives of dinosaurs. Yep come before mammals like so stuff like that actually makes sense now right. not to the people at the time they don't know that right and if it had said guess what the the world the, that thing that you see in the sky that looks like holes like all those dots the stars in the sky are actually big giant gases gaseous balls that are who's got the light. mind for that they wouldn't be able to comprehend yeah. it so it's it's like how you would say to a little kid here's the stuff like the little stories that we tell little kids are like the moon was put up there by that and there's a man in the moon and he does this like all yeah, these yeah, little yeah. silly things are but they're to help you to notice the outside world and appreciate and relate to the outside world in a way that's appropriate for that age yeah. and genesis one is appropriate to the people at the time to help them to understand who god is and the nat- god's nature yeah and it's not to tell you this is definitively the scientific right. thing. Or to say that it happened in six days. No, no. Because it can't no. happen in six days because no. days don't exist until day four. Okay, so okay. Th- I'm, I'm going to tee off now. I would argue, first of all, that the words inerrancy and infallible do not appear in the Bible. Okay, wait. I'm going to make a solid point and then I'm going to punctuate it. So you have to argue something about the Bible that the Bible is unwilling to argue about itself for this to work. <laughs> that was great. Right, so... so the Bible says that it is inspired yes. by God. Yes. And that's a whole rabbit trail of beauty that we can go down at some point if we if we have the time. Uh, it also says that it's written down by people. Right. There's only one time where God writes anything down, and that's the Ten Commandments. And there are discernible mistakes. I really need to memorize this because I've had this conversation with a lot of people, and I don't know where these examples are. The Bible. Well, yeah, it's somewhere. <laughs> but like in, in, let's just say in Acts somewhere, yep. Luke, the author of Acts, says Paul went to city A, B, and C. Yep. And then in one of the letters, Paul says, no, I actually went BCA. C- yeah. Yeah. And, and like, someone's wrong. Yeah. That's that's not infallible. You know, you know what Paul would say? Everybody else is wrong. <laughs> You're right. Paul, uh, someone's wrong in it. I don't know who it is, but it's not me. And like, yeah. he obviously is aware that Luke's out there because he's ticked about it the mm-hmm. way he writes it. He's like, oh. no, I'm sure I, I went forgot about BCA. That, yeah. You know, like, so like, Paul's some, such a, an exciting character. Oh my gosh. We could, he's so emotional. Yeah. But, but, okay, so the whole idea of inerrancy, and it's interesting that we started in Genesis because that's usually where this goes. Yeah. People, answers, answers in Genesis. Right. People want Genesis to be literal uh, because for them, for some reason, the idea of evolution, just the whole thing falls apart. Well, and they hang their hat especially on the idea that if anything in Genesis is false, then you might as well just throw out the rest of the Bible. Right. That if that's the starting point, that's one, the Bible never makes that claim. But if we're starting at that point, then that's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. But then this is this is another little clue that I think theologically hangs together. Push back on it if you if you want. I love it. Well, wait, let me finish the the Han shot first thing. Do it. Uh, I think if you go back through the church father, this idea of inerrancy didn't show up till about two hundred years ago. Exactly. So 
Se- uh, the Great Enlightenment? What was that? It's no, the Great Awakening. Second yeah. Great Awakening. So Han shot first for the very beginning of time. It's also a deeply American oh, yeah. uh, in, idea of inerrancy. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the last 200 years, we throw this idea. You know, actually, it's an er- And it changes the whole perception of... I don't think to believe Han shot first is fundamentalist. I think to say Han shot first is the way it should have been. Oh. And someone came in and edited it and said, no, it's inerrant. So this is a new idea that hasn't existed for thousands of years of church history. And now all of a sudden it's here and and people hang their faith on it. Which if this is you, if you're listening to this and you absolutely hang your faith on inerrancy, I can have that conversation with you. I don't think it's it's terribly destructive, but it can be to new believers is my big or even non-believers. I think, uh, well, I, and I would say the hard thing about that is that it's not, if that's what you need your faith to be. Yeah. That sounds very patronizing. I don't mean it to be, but but if that's an essential for you, um, that's okay. As long as you don't make an essential for everybody else. Yeah, I agree but with that. But I think if that's an essential for you, then you, you feel like it has to be an essential for everybody. I yeah, think that's right. the hard thing about this conversation is that if that, if your viewpoint is that the Bible must, every word of the Bible must literally be true. Um, then it's of the utmost important that everybody else believes that as well. Yeah. Because if they don't, then they're not. They don't believe in the right Bible. Right. But here's here's another pin I'll poke in this idea of inerrancy. So the Bible, frequently referred to as the Word of God. Yep. Right. John writes a very beautiful gospel, and in his attempt in the beginning to poetically describe this guy Jesus, the Son of God, yeah. constantly refers to him as the Word. The Word made flesh. Word. So ask yourself a question. If the Bible is the Word of God, and if Jesus Christ is the Word of God, would not the way they teach be similar? Right? If those are the same concept, yes. wouldn't it be that the way Jesus taught is the way that the Bible itself is orchestrated and laid out? Oh, wait a second. I think someone's coming in the door. Who is it? <laughs> Hello, let me talk to you for a moment. Who is this guy? Who is this? I would like to tell you something. All right. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> My name is John Calvin. <laughs> John Calvin, why do you have an Italian accent? Don't bother me. This is a this is a French man who lives in Geneva. I have something to say to you. Go with it, people. All right, John Calvin, tell me uh, tell me what it is that you have to say. Well, I forgot what I was going to say because I was so concerned about trying to have a French accent, and I forgot what the French accent sounded like. Yeah. But here, what I was going to say. The Bible is not God. The Bible is a lens through which we can see the world. Yes. And therefore see God. It is like the spectacles <laughs> that we put on our eyes that help us to see the world better. Yes. So you can see the world without the spectacles, but you will not see it as clearly. You can see God in the world without... The scripture that you can have yes. a natural revelation. Yes. That I see God in the in the trees, in the sunset, in the Reese's a peanut butter cup. Mm. Preach it, John. But when I put on the spectacles of the scripture, I can see God so much clearly. Yes. I can read the books. I can sit in the back of the classroom, and I can see what the teachers are writing, and she's writing John Calvin. Two check marks for talking in the middle of class and for not knowing 
having a very insensitive Italian accent. <laughs> I was going to say, John, you sound like Mario came Mexico. to life. <laughs> Does anybody else think that Mario says Mexico at the Absolutely. beginning of, uh, of Mario Kart? Ed, Ed and I have had this discussion. Instead of let's go? Yeah, it's Mexico. Mexico! Mexico! I also like in the in the 64 version when uh, one of the choices is versus. Yeah. And he like he can't believe that that's what you would want to do. Versus? Versus. <laughs> like, well, how would you want to do Mario Grand Prix. Versus. <laughs> There's so many better things you could do right now. Versus? Reevaluate Are your you life. sure? So anyway, so anyway. Th- wait, thanks, John Calvin. <laughs> no problem. I will see you later. I'm going to not go kill people. <laughs> and I'm also going to uh, not be a Calvinist because I'm not really a Calvinist if you actually read the word I write. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll invite you back, man. You can be I'll a guest. I'll come back and tell you about my theology and how people don't understand who I am. Oh, man. Oh. Wow. That's uh, his exit music. <laughs> Bye, John Calvin. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> but anyway, so Jesus shows up. And says things in parables. Yeah. That is his chose. You can't argue. Sometimes Jesus comes out and says, hey, don't do X, Y, or Z. Like, he'll give you a direct straight line. Most of the time. Very rarely. Yeah. Most of the time, though, Jesus is using story that he made up to illustrate a much broader and more important truth. Yeah. For the Bible to be literal. Yeah. Jesus sure spends a lot of time talking about figurative things. Yes, he does. Every time someone says, hey, what's heaven like? He's like, I don't know. Um, have you ever seen a shepherd before? <laughs> right. It's kind of like that. Like imagine a shepherd who lost one of his sheep and then he goes and finds it and then he throws a party. Heaven's like that. Yeah. It's like, what? Okay. It's like a lady who lost. She had 10 coins. She lost one. And she found it and then she threw a party. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. And no one thinks it's like that's literally what heaven is like. Right. Because Jesus is telling us figurative things. If God's intention was for a literal scripture to show up, Jesus, when asked what's heaven like, would say, you go down to the 7-Eleven, you turn left, (laughs) and then you – right? Like that's not his thing. Also, if – here's the thing. Here's the the thunderbolt statement that I would make. Yeah. If scripture is perfect – if scripture were perfect – Yeah. Boy, it would make a whole lot more sense. Yeah. It does not make very much sense. No. Uh, and that is, this is someone who firmly believes in the Bible. So I'm not questioning the Bible in, right. this, no. in the meta narrative of scripture, but there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is hard to handle. And that brings me around to I did an independent study with Dr. Toole at the seminary. Yep. Great, like, great biblical scholar. Oh my gosh. Great. He's, got, he's got a, uh, a blog called The Bible Guy, I think it's, that's what it's called. Yeah. It's so great. It's unbelievable. So great. Yeah. He's a really great guy. I've never met him, but he's a great. Oh, guy. he's great. Yeah. Uh, he and I did a 30 page paper on how to interpret scripture. Nice. And it, it boils down to one metaphor that I did all that scholarship and I have one metaphor. Wait, you did it together? Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. What's core? It was an independent study. I had room for an independent study, and this is what I wanted to do. This is why I said this is a pet peeve of mine. Oh, I like it. One of the reasons I think people run away from or or run towards inerrancy is they don't want a scripture that is just, and I quote, open to interpretation. Yep. However, here's my analogy. So we're going to go to the the, the beautiful place of jazz music. Yes! Beautiful place of jazz music. There's a song, is one of my favorites uh, in the jazz world called Take Five. Yes, I knew you were going there by Dave Brubeck. Yeah. Dave Brubeck. Uh, Love Dave Brubeck. It's so wait, wait. good. Okay, listen. It's, I was going to say, we got to do this. It's playing right now. Yeah. Uh, but it was going to be kind of quiet. It's kind of a, it's the chillest song you've oh ever Oh my heard. gosh. 
You put this yeah. on at a party. Smoke is, is all of a sudden. Enough. Yeah, everybody's wearing ties yeah. like, for no reason. But it, it's drinking cocktails, and the, and all those cocktails taste not like a cocktail taste, which is horrible, but they yeah. taste delicious like what you thought a cocktail <laughs> tastes like when you were five years old <laughs> and you saw fancy people drinking them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so there's this that you have now. Yeah. Now, put the brakes on Dave Brubeck. Yeah. A couple decades later, uh, we'll have Barterby tell me the exact timing on this, but yeah. a guy comes along by the name of George Benson. Okay. And George Benson... Weird musician, yeah. kind of more in the funk side of jazz, yeah. if you even want to call it yeah. jazz. Yeah. George Benson takes a stab at Take Five. Oh. And it sounds He's like. He's a guitar player. Yeah. And it sounds like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. Now, this is the same song. Kind of. <laughs> interpreted two different ways. Yeah. Wait, here's another one. Here's a, I want to throw this in one. Okay. So, I, here, let me load this in our eight track player. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the, here's another version of Take Five. Yeah, this is by Hendrix, Lambert, and Ross. Okay, vocalist group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from the same era as Dave Brubeck. So this is uh, a couple years later, five years later, maybe. Okay. Here is their version. We're actually gonna I'm gonna let it play a little bit so you can hear. So you'll notice this version is the same song, but they have written lyrics. Yes. To this song. Yes. This and, is a great. Yeah. And their lyrics. Fit with the song, mm-hmm. so you hear this. This actually sounds more like Take Five than the, the George Benson song. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's it's still not the same thing. But it's a it's an interpretation of it that that is consistent. Right. So it's not heretical right. to the first one, and it has the same vibe. You're still in that place where everyone's wearing fancy suits and skinny ties and drinking martinis. Yeah. And they're still smoking the room. Yeah. And you can feel it. Now it maybe it's a little more in your face than the last one. Right. It's harder for we're probably gonna actually take it down now, so uh-huh. you can actually hear us talking. <laughs> um, Whereas the other one could just be a bed that could play forever. Right. So it's it's it, it's more, uh, it's a different interpretation, but it's consistent. Yeah. So now three options. Yeah. There there are two things that you could not do, in this scenario, that would be that that that, that would be wrong. The first thing you would want to not do is come to this conversation and say which one of those three was correct. That's not a great conversation. You no. can have the conversation, which one do you like better? Yeah. And and, and there will be originalists that will say Dave Brubeck yeah. uh, is, and, is and the And someone come in with the correct one, like say, well, the correct one is the Dave Brubeck one because he wrote it. So right. he has the right to do that. But, well, but maybe not. But the word correct there still strikes you a little yeah. bit wrong, right? Because yeah. even the, the guys that put lyrics to it, the, 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 this is taking that and going a step further. And if you heard the one with lyrics, the, the Hendrix, Lambert, and Ross one, when you were like your grandma played that all the time, right? And you grew up with that, and you didn't hear the the Dave Brubeck one until you were thirty, right? Like that one's not going to feel right, right? If you hear a cover of something first, like if your first exposure to Mad World, mm-hmm. which we talked about the Donnie Darko song, was the Donnie Darko version, yep. which is which most was mine, it's almost everybody's first yeah. exposure to it. Then when you hear the original, you're like, I mean, it sounds like it, but it's, something sounds it's just too fast and it's yeah. too like there's a lot of stuff going on in here and right. it doesn't sound right, right? Um, that does, now, then, which one is right? The, right? Most people would say the Donnie Darko version is right, but even though they didn't write it. But even that, so like even the language of correct, right, yeah. wrong, yeah, you don't want to apply that here. You can have opinion yeah. and say, I like that one, I don't like that one, you know, that, that's okay. But to say right, wrong, whatever, that's not good. No. The other side of it is if I brought my three-and-a-half-year-old in here with a piano and said he's going to play take five. And he just sat here with his fists and banged on the keyboards. That is discernibly not yeah. take five. Yeah. That is wrong. Yeah. Right? It's quite different. So what you have in this scenario, in this conversation with music, 
is the potential for three correct interpretations. Yeah. Which isn't the same thing as anything goes. Yeah. Because clearly anything doesn't. Just banging your fist on the keyboard. Yeah. You can't do whatever you want and call it take five. Right. There you has can, to be something that's recognizable as take five. It may not be what you would initially say is take five. Right. But it's hard to argue that that was not at least an attempt at take five. Right. So like it, it's not the same thing as anything goes. Right. So my 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 bring it back to scripture mm-hmm. version of this is mm-hmm. a quick little parable of Jesus. Kingdom of heaven is like a man walking through a field and he stumbles upon a treasure of great price. Yeah. And in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Whenever I hear this parable, by the way, it's the end of Shawshank Redemption to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Morgan Freeman finding <laughs> the, 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 uh, the volcanic rock and the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, from, from the moment I was in Sunday school as a second grader until about seven years ago, I would have told you I have one interpretation for that. Ooh. We are the people. The world is the field. When you come across the gospel, it is a treasure of great price. And in your dedication to God, Jesus, you sell every, you give your whole self to buy this lifestyle. Yeah. That's a pretty good interpretation of yeah. that scripture. Yeah. About seven, it's a pretty reasonable interpretation yeah, right. at the very least. Yeah. Uh, it's not false. No. Right? You can't look at that and say that's and it, wrong. It puts order on that on that story in a way that we like that we can say, well, that's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. We like things to have a finite meaning because then we can learn them. Right. And if they don't have a finite meaning, then then it's hard to learn them and to be smart. Right. <laughs> yeah. About seven years ago, a friend came up to me and said, no, no, that story is God was walking through a field. Oh. And came upon a treasure oh. of great price, and it's us. Oh, it's the relationship with humans. Oh, and in His joy, yes, God goes and sells everything God has. Oh, that's the story of the cross. Giving up His oh. entire life <laughs> to buy the field, buy oh, the my whole goodness. thing. Oh my goodness! Which interpretation is wrong? The first one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the second one better oh, now. Oh, it's so much. It's a better story. And it rocked my world. Yeah, it's a better story. Yeah. But the, the first one is not a bad story. Right. It's a perfectly... But if you are locked in on the first one being the, fir- the, the essential story, then you are not even listening to the other interpretation. Right. Right. If you are only literal yeah. in your interpretation of scripture, if you're not opening yourself up to new interpretation, different interpretation... And- the hardest part about being only literal is that that story is not literal. Right. And so you there is no treasure in when field. When you are a literalist about the scripture, you're really going to struggle when you get to the red letters of the Bible. You know, we've talked about red letters before. You may not know what this means. In a lot of Bibles, not all Bibles, not even most Bibles, but there are many Bibles which they, in the New Testament, they have red letters, and those letters are any words that are spoken by Christ. Yeah. So whenever you talk about red letter Christians or red letter Bibles or things like that, so whenever we refer to the red letters, it's just a shorthand of saying, anytime Jesus talks. So which, if you're a literalist, when you encounter the red letters, you're really going to struggle because Jesus yeah. is so often figurative and it's it's perplexing and frustrating. Yeah. But it's it's helpful because there's so much more nuance. I really liked um, the, uh, the 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 so Luke 15 has the three lost stories. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would I'm very much of the mind uh, that Kenneth Bailey, who is this great guy, mm. uh, amazing theologian wrote these awesome books. Jesus through Mediterranean eyes is really good. It's thick and, but it's really easy to read and, and blow your mind. I highly recommend it. He, uh, really high, like puts that chapter as kind of like the quintessence, like the, the fundamental chapter of the gospel. Yeah. Um, it's the three stories of, of, so it's the lost sheep. 
It's the lost coin, which we don't really talk about. And then the lost sons, plural. Yep. We usually talk about that as the prodigal son, singular. No, no, and no. we don't talk about the middle one because it's not a very exciting story. It's just like, a lady lost a coin and she found it. Like, that's the story. Yeah, right. Uh, and that happens and every day. About, we talk about the lost sheep a lot. And usually, in all of our minds, the lost sheep is a black sheep. So the lost sheep... Uh, uh, huh. Many people. Yeah, not yeah. mine. And but I pictures. can see that. I can yeah. see that going, yeah. Well, that's what you think he's a boy. So there, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bring it all back around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the interesting thing about that first story is like that's a great story when you're the sheep that got lost. Yeah. It's not a great story when you're one of the 99. No. And it says very clearly he left the 99 in an open field. Yeah. Vulnerable. This exposed, is the story dangerous. of a terrible shepherd. Yes. To 99 of his sheep. Yeah. A great shepherd to one of his sheep. But yeah. like anyone who and it's all, I would say that chapter as I've like probably in the last 7 years like that my understanding of that chapter through reading Ken Bailey through hearing other people and through reading it myself and read it in context don't read these as separate stories read this as this is there's a reason why God why Jesus told these stories all together yeah he wanted they build on each other yep and you know who he's talking to he's talking he was talking to the sinners and the tax collectors and then all the church people said hey man you got your stuff wrong and he's like, all right, let me tell you a story. And he's doing the thing where he's talking to the sinners and the tax collectors, but he's really talking to the church yeah, people. Because right. he's like, okay, I know you guys are listening, so here, let me tell you a story. And he's telling the story where all the people, the sinners and tax collectors are thinking, I'm the black sheep. Yep. I'm the I'm the lost sheep, for those who don't think in color of this <laughs> one. Uh, the uh, I'm the lost sheep, and, and how great it is that this shepherd would be willing to come get me. Yeah. And all the church people are thinking, no, that's the, that's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. The reason why you have 100 sheep is because you're going to lose sheep because sheep are stupid and they're just going to wander off. And As they want to do. That's part of the deal. You get more than you need because you're going to lose some. <laughs> right. And, and, Cost of doing and you know what's better than one sheep? 99 sheep. Yeah. And guess what? If you have 99 sheep, it's not going to be too long before you have another one. So that's right. That's, that's right. That's how the life works. And yeah. so um, that it's a terrible of a not great shepherd, except for the one who's lost. It's a terrible of a lady who throws a party, who only has 10 coins, and then throws a party because she found a nickel, a coin. Yeah. That party probably is not going to be a free party. Nope. So she's probably going to spend at least one of those coins. And anyone, I don't know if you've ever gone to a party about someone who found some coins. I do know that. You haven't because that's a stupid reason to have a party. <laughs> I'm and doing so, it. Next yeah, time I so, find a quarter in my and pants. So, and it's the thing where, like, I'm sure everyone at that party is like, at both of those parties, at the, at the sheep party, they're like, why are we throwing a party for this guy? Yeah. And especially the coin party is like, why is this party happening? Now, that sounds like you're reading too much into it, except you get to the third one. Yep. And it literally ends with the brother, the older brother who didn't run away, who did everything right, coming and saying, why, why are, are we having a party? party? This is a stupid party. You're an idiot for having this party. Yep. And the father says, I don't care about that. That's fine if you think that. Right. But we need to be excited because we found this guy and you should be excited because he's your brother. Yeah. And I'll throw you a party too. And maybe other people think that's dumb, but I will. And, and I'll throw you a party anytime you want, but right now I'm having a party and this party's for everybody and you should come to this party. Yeah. And it ends like that. Yeah. It doesn't end with any resolution. And so for you to take that party, that, that, that thing literally, it doesn't end. So it doesn't tell you what the ending is. And that's why we have arbitrarily given it an ending, which is before the older brother comes in, because that's a better ending. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm the lost brother. I came back, got just got through a party and he loves me. But that's not the point that no. Jesus is trying to make. No. Jesus is trying to make people get saved and you're going to get mad when yeah. God loves people who you think don't deserve it. And you're going to think this party's pretty stupid. Preach. And maybe it is. Yeah. But uh, so that. Um, the interesting thing about it is that in order to take the Bible literally, you have to ignore so many things that are in the Bible. Yeah. 
um, it, one of the things that, that blew a lot of uh, we took this uh, this class in college called Understanding the Bible. I was not a religion major. I was I was a history major. I just took that was the only Bible class I took in college. I wasn't yeah. planning on going to ministry or anything like that. I was just interested in the Bible. And uh, I'd grown up at the church, always had a faith that was just kind of inherited. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, whatever. Uh, and uh, this was the first thing where it kind of tested me. And we actually read through the whole Bible. It was the first time I'd read through the whole Bible, like page page one to page last. Yeah. And um, we, you get to the Gospels, and our professor really pointed out, like, he, he had a multiple choice quiz, quiz and it said, who goes to the tomb on Easter morning? And the answer is different for every single Gospel. Yep. It's one time it's just Mary. Mm-hmm. One time it's the women. Yep. One time it's, and it lists out like six people who are not listed out in other places. Like it's very specific in two of them. And which, which and again, as a beside, uh, the, the John version. Yeah. The, the, the point that this is written by people, John has a thing about getting to the tomb first. Yeah. In, in the way that only a teenage disciple, no, I won that race. John, who only refers to himself, so John, who wrote the Gospel of John, only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right. Just like digging up people's like Jesus' favorite disciple. Yeah. I'm not going to say who it was, yeah, but, but I think, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we all know yeah, who it is. It's John. Uh, and then, like, yeah, that's the best, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. Where It has <laughs> zero narrative relevance at all. So the women go to the tomb. They come back. Uh, first off, in Mark, it says that the the angels like go tell everybody that Jesus is alive, and then it says pointedly they didn't yeah, tell right. anybody. They were scared. <laughs> now clearly they told somebody, or this, this wouldn't be written down. But yeah. so in the John one though, the women go back and they tell the disciples, and Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, immediately take like run to the tomb, and yeah. then it makes a point of saying, "I got there first. Yeah, <laughs> it said, and the uh, Peter got uh, that John got to the tomb first and then right. Peter went in the tomb first. Right. Like John stopped outside to catch his breath. Yeah. yeah. Or and, just to, to brag. And, and then but, Peter snuck in. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right. But, I, I, I was first in. Yeah. But here's, and I think there's a, a, a very critical point um, in all of this. I had, I had some evangelical friends and we had this conversation, which by the way, the, the errancy infallibility thing lives in the evangelical church for oh the most yeah, part. It's not exclusive to them, but it's really, it's a, it's a foundational yeah. element of the evangelical church. And, and if you find yourself in this mindset of there's deeper interpretation, you might be told as I was that you have a low view of scripture. Oh, and when that first hit me, when that someone said that to me and about me, I got ticked because I think what they're saying is if you're not taking it literally, you're not taking it seriously. Well, and I would push back. I would that. push back so hard on that. Yeah. Because look at how in just a couple stories and even goofy stuff like John and Peter. Yeah. Look how much depth is there if you go even just a bit yeah. beneath the surface yeah. of literal. Well, and that's like I would say that doing the literal takes a low view of it because there's no nuance. Right. You just that, read it. Yeah, that that if we are one, you can't take a literal view because how do you how do you reconcile the four different stories? Uh, the, how do you reconcile the two creation stories? How do you reconcile that uh, putting clean and unclean animals on the on the boat before that's even a thing? Yep, that does not exist before Moses, and Noah <laughs> happens a, a book before knows? Moses. Happens yeah. like two thousand years before Moses, mm-hmm. and at one point it. He just puts two of every animal, and then it, it tells the story again, and then now he's putting seven of every clean animal and two of every unclean animal, yep. and it's like, wait a minute, what? What's a clean How animal? Do, yeah, it I hasn't been explained yet because that was added later. Yeah, and that and that, does that make the Bible not true? No, no, it doesn't because that was added 
like God was still in that process of doing that, but does it make the Bible confusing? It sure does. Yes. And does it does it put the fingerprints of humans all over it? Absolutely, yeah. because those were priests who added that in to make it consistent with their understanding of yes. how God worked. Yeah. And that's maybe critical in all this. Facts and truth are two different things. Yes. Facts are important. Yeah. You need facts, right? If, if, if there was no guy named Jesus, we might have a problem. Um, but truth is bigger than fact. Yeah. And it's not that the two things are inconsistent. Like the, the right. facts and truth live in the same neighborhood. They live in the same house. Yeah. Um, but facts are cold. Yes. Facts are bricks on a wall. Um, truth is the life that lives in that house. Yeah. Um, and that you need that, that facts are <laughs> like are essential to truth, yeah. but they're, they're the beginning of it. I mean, that they're, it's the foundation of the house that, uh, that a house, the structure itself is, is lifeless until you get a family that lives in there and say, truth is the, is the heart of that of the house it's the difference between saying a house and a home yeah right like uh, the facts are a house yeah what you do with them is what makes truth it a is home. a home yeah that's good I like that that's good <laughs> so on that note I, again I don't want to disparage anybody uh, so like if infallibility is so critical to you and your faith okay I'm going to challenge you on that yeah. Because I think there's a much richer way. And it's a scarier way. There's yeah. no two ways about that. And uh, that's, that's I think, why infallibility becomes such a fundamental thing for so many people. It's a security blanket. It's, a, it's, a, it's an assurance of a singular way to view faith. Yeah. And when faith gets unmoored from that, um, well, what the heretic Rob Bell calls it is brickiology. Yeah. That your, your fundamental understanding of faith is a brick wall. And if you take out any of those bricks, it could it, the, the whole, whole could thing's coming. And instead, you need a, a springy kind of trampoline theology. Yeah, that it still has some firmness to it, but it has room to stretch. Yep. and it's designed to stretch. And the more it stretches, the more exciting it is. And the more it stretches, the higher you can get, and the more joy you can have out of it. But you can't bounce on a brick wall. A brick wall is designed to give you security and protect you from things you're afraid of. Right. A trampoline is designed to bring you joy and have life. fun. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe break a bone, but you'll still yeah. be you'll, you'll still be go right. on a trampoline. Later. <laughs> yeah. You'll be all right. Yeah. So on that note, uh, to those on Twitter, I'm going to ask a very dangerous Twitter question this mm. week. Very dangerous, uh, but I think good. What verse or verses or story in the Bible yeah, yeah, yeah. confuse you the hardest? What are the ones that you look at? And I bet Tyler and I could fill tweets upon tweets, yeah. even in ourselves. So give us an example. What's a Jay Fryer? Um, I just read yesterday for the Daily Lectionary uh, the first chapter of Ezekiel. Ooh. And anytime that they're talking about the creatures with the form of yeah. humans yep. and the they're lion in Revelation too. And, they're in Daniel and they're in Revelation. They're terrifying. Yeah. That to me is the scariest thing in the whole Bible. And part of that is, again, to this whole idea that I have a lot of interpretation. I want to interpret that. Yeah. And I don't know so how. It's these, it's these four beasts. One looks like a lion. One looks like a human. One looks like a hawk. One looks like a... Uh, what's the other one? Um... A deer, something like that. Yeah, I can't I remember know. what it is. But and they have eyes all over their bodies, yeah. and they have six wings, and they cover themselves with the wings, and they're the most terrifying thing you can think yeah. of if you really visualize it. But they're on God's side. That's right. the the thing that's the most confusing, and that's the what happened. Part of me liking Revelation was when I see that, and I realize the scariest thing in this whole book is actually on God's, God's side. side. Yeah. And if and one, it helps me to know I don't know what's going on here, but I know that we're going to be okay because the thing that I'm most scared of is actually on like they're good guys. Yeah. Um, they're monsters, but they're good monsters. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah. 
but it, it's stuff like that. Like I want, I chew on that a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and I have more questions than I have answers. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the passages for you, our listeners, dear listeners, that are that for you? Um, One of the ones that uh, I struggle with is uh, in Psalm. Well, you could play all day in Psalms. Oh yeah, there, I think it's one thirty-seven. I don't know what the numbers are for Psalms, uh, but it's the by the rivers of Babylon. Oh one. yeah, yeah. Uh, which has a great reggae song that comes from it. Yeah. But it ends and it's uh, where we sat down by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and we, and there we wept when we remembered Zion uh, and they kept out and then now paraphrase it. They kept asking us to sing a new song, but how can we sing a new song? Uh, th- like they're, they're in exile in Babylon yep. and the Babylonians want them to sing songs because oh, they're so great. And how can, how can we sing a song, uh, a happy song when we're prisoners in a strange land, when we're, when we're away from our home and that's beautiful. And then it ends with saying, and I hate this place so much. I just want to. I want to kill these people. Yeah. And I want to take their babies. I want to bash them against the rocks. Yeah. The end. Like <laughs> it doesn't say. But I'm not going to. Because a right. lot of the psalms, like, I mean, assuming David wrote some of these psalms, that that David is like, man, this sucks. Where no. are you, God? This is terrible. I wish I would die. And I'm kind of tired of you. But I can't stay mad at you. J- just J- I mean, J.K. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna be all right. <laughs> And you gave me so many good things, and I know you're gonna save me again. Yeah. This one doesn't end like that. This no. one's like, yep, kill those babies. It's Take them, grab them, grab them by the feet, and slam them against the rocks. And that's a. T- I don't like that image. I don't like anything about that. No. I'd be very happy with that, but that was not the Bible. But. But it's there. It's there. And you gotta and wrestle. It. What I do. Uh, I mean, this doesn't excuse it completely, but what I like is that it, it avails us the human emotion of fury. Yeah. That is unhealthy. Yeah. But it recognizes that that's part of the human spectrum of emotion. And it it canonizes it. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes is another book that. Oh man. Oh, I know what the one is. What's the deal with the devil and Job? Oh man. There we go. Yeah. Uh, that's my that's my entry. Yeah. You could do. <laughs> what's going on with that? And hours. Then, and on then that. therefore, what's the deal with the devil? Yeah. Satan. That's an episode that we're gonna deal with. Oh man. Like Satan episode. I get. Ha-satan. I get tagged a little bit more conservative than most. Uh, cause my thing with the devil is Jesus talks about him a lot. Yeah. Uh, so like, oh, wait, no, say this, say this for the, yeah. Okay. We'll come the, back. Cause we'll I got, we, one, we got to wrap this in two. Uh, we don't want to give away all the juice. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a, I like, I like where that's going to go. That's good. Okay. So yeah, do that. So, so hit us up on Twitter, roughing the pastor, um, and answer that. I mean, what are some things that you struggled with in terms of the Bible? What, and you can even put it, that, I mean, another way to phrase it is like, what do you wish wasn't in the Bible? Oh man. Like yeah. what, what, what complicates the Bible for you? Come on, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not to say, and, and so we're not necessarily encouraging that, but we do have selective canons, meaning yeah. like we, we have books that like most people don't pay any attention to revelation. Nope. Most people don't pay any attention to Job and Ecclesiastes and all these other, or the Old Testament. Like a lot of people, like you're, you maybe get or down with the Torah, yeah, and then that's it. By the by, people with on the inerrancy side, yeah. I was thinking while you were talking about that, Psalms. You no. can't do anything with Psalms. No, if you're most of the inerrant people have Genesis and then they're Marcionites until they get to the Gospels. Like <laughs> yes, the, and, and Marcionites. Marcion was a heretic who said you don't need the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus throws that whole thing out. Jesus yeah. cancels the whole Old Testament. Uh, so let's just rip it out of our Bible. So anytime you were at the at the <laughs> at the fair and someone handed you in a book and said this is the Bible and it said New Testament and Psalms, that's yeah. not the Bible. No, that's a third of the Bible. That's maybe. Yeah, a quarter of the Bible. The My Bible fa- starts. There's a reason why we have all the Old Testament is because you need that. Yeah. Yeah, to I, understand there's a, Jesus. I think it was Eric Blackwell said to me, uh, that somebody handed him one of those, and he said, the Bible is the sword of God. 
this is a dagger at best. <laughs> yeah, this is like, a toenail clipper. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, do all those things. Go to Twitter, Instagram, all this stuff. Let's have a conversation about this, especially. Um, and there's so much more we could say about this. Mm. And if if inerrancy of the Bible has been something that has kept you away from the church and people's forcing that on you, uh, I do want to say very clearly, that is not a requirement of the church. No. And if you are uh, talking with people who say it is a requirement of the church, um, they're wrong. They, well, they, <laughs> not they, that harshly, but it's yeah, not a requirement. It's not a requirement. And and so if you are going to a church that implies that that's a requirement, do look around. There are yeah. other churches. If I mean that there the Bible's so much bigger than that. And if we can't interpret the Bible, then that's like saying your brain doesn't belong. God doesn't want your brain. Yeah. And God gave us brains that ask questions, and questions are great. Yeah. That's how we learn stuff. And so we need to ask questions. And the reason why Jesus talks in such a confusing way is that he wants you to ask questions. Yeah. Jesus wants you to look at the end of that book and be like, so what happened? Where did the son do? And he goes, why don't you tell me? He's like, no, yeah. no, you just tell me, Jesus. I want to know what's going on. And he doesn't. Nope, come on. And man. that's great. And the, the, I mean, my other favorite book of the Bible is Jonah, and it ends without an ending. Yep. It ends with Jonah saying, God, you're dumb because you love people. And God's like, you know what? I love you too. But what did you think I was going to do? Yeah. I love these people and I, I needed you. I wanted you to be part of this. And Jonah says, I don't care. And that's the end of the book. Yep. And it just ends with Jonah being mad at God because God is good. Like not <laughs> because God is bad, but because God is good. And because God didn't need Jonah. Uh-huh. He's like, you waste my time. And Jonah's like, but I wanted you to. Or God's like, but I wanted you to be here, Jonah. Oh, I love that ending because it's not an ending. And Read your Bible, so folks. So bring your books, bring your brains to the Bible. <laughs> bring your books ask, to class. Bring your books to class. Bring your brains to the Bible. Ask questions. It's okay to say this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because if you're saying it doesn't make sense, it says, it says one, you're thinking critically about it, and two, you're interested in learning more about it. Yep. So if you are going to a church or you're affiliated with, if you're experienced with the church or experienced with Christianity or people who say you're not allowed to ask questions, you're not allowed to... Uh, say this doesn't make sense and in order to be part of this you have to fully subscribe to this one understanding of the bible try other places yeah there are so many churches that are excited about our brains and and the questions and the doubts and god is so big that you don't have to there's nowhere in the bible that says you need to accept every single word of this in a way um that doesn't bring your brain yeah God, God wants you to think. God wants you to ask questions. Jesus tells us to come like little kids. And if you've ever been around a little kid for more than 30 seconds, you know all they do is ask all questions. All they do. All they do is, why is this? Why is this? Why is yeah. this? Tell me this. And that's how we're supposed to come. Yeah. So, I'm ready to go home. Oh, no. It's our red Oh, Bartleby. It's so good to see you. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. Didn't we lock him in the basement or something? Oh, I unlocked it because I really wanted to, to hear what he had to say about this one. Okay. Bartleby, did we make any mistakes today? Oh, boy. Okay, well, all right. Well, here, let me take it. Thanks, Bartleby. All right, Bartleby, you can just curl up in a little ball right there in the corner Mm -hmm. while we read this. The first uh, we have here is, um, uh, so, uh, actually, there's not that many. Bartleby, you made it seem like we made lots of mistakes. I like to exaggerate. I like to exaggerate. It's the only attention you're going to get this week, Pat. Okay, so, um, the first one is that we said uh, Star Wars Special Edition was released in 1997. Um, nobody cares about this, but it was actually released in... in uh, oh, no, I said it was released in 1998. It was released in 1997. Okay. January 31st of 1997, almost as far away from 1998 as you can get. Um, yeah, I guess I, Yeah. Yeah, and uh, here's another one. This is... Bartleby, this seems like an opinion more than a fact, but I'll just take it. Bartleby is saying here that in all... Uh, you claimed that it is like a Jedi robe. Yeah. He claims that it is actually closer to a Sith robe. In a Jedi robe. In all black, the way mine is, Certainly. I might agree with him. Certainly. But, but mine, I still feel like a Jedi. 
Wow. I feel like Return of the Jedi, Luke. Even down here, it, it has an asterisk that says Knights of Ren. So it looks like uh, he's really, really digging into that Star Wars knowledge. Okay. okay. That uh, is an And the other piece. significant one, this is the only other big, big one, is that, oh, uh... I said, we were talking about um, Take 5, and I said Ham- Hendrick, Lambert, and Ross version of it with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. One, it's Lambert, Hendrix, and Ross. It doesn't really matter. Come on, That's man. It, yeah. Uh, and that version is actually Carmen McRae, who is another jazz vocalist. It's not Lambert, Hendrix, and Ross. I recommend both of them. They're very good. But All right. Carmen McRae sang the Take 5 version, and she sang it with Dave Brubeck. So, in the background, still Dave Brubeck. But it only proves great. my point, yeah. It does. Uh, last thing... Uh, um, <laughs> Bertleby has down here. This is just a, a, his suggestion. Do you want me to read this? Yes, I do. I think it's a good Alright. He thinks that if we do make merch, uh, oh my. Our, we we have both uh, developed catchphrases that we may or may not be aware of. Okay. Uh, your Jay's catchphrase is by the by. So every okay. time you hear by the by, you are welcome to jump up and spin around. <laughs> or uh, I eat, am, eat an I Oreo can. cookie or whatever <laughs> yeah, right. game you'd like to associate with this. Uh, you can do more adult things if you'd like to. Uh, and and my phrase is all that is to say. Okay. When I say all that is to say, those actually would make terrific t-shirts. Terrific t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. So we maybe we need some merch people to get we on get, that. We'll get on that. We'll put all our right. top guys on. Wait, so we have a house elf, Barnaby. Get get on that. Oh, that's that's true. That could be dangerous. It he really could, yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Barnaby. All right, go play outside. <laughs> All right, he just ran out the door. Oh, okay, so I, think, I think that's all we have to do for today. But uh, is there anything else? No, I think we're good. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay, yeah. so I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. And this has been Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. Pastor. See you guys. Read Bye. your Bibles. And ask us questions. <laughs> Nicely. Yep, bye. <laughs>